You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. I mean, Rory was three things. He was a musician, a musician, and a musician, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, he didn't need to explain it away. He did it, mm. and he did it with, you know, as, as, as JJ says, with real finesse and grace and with great, and with great passion. Though born in Ballyshannon in Donegal, it was the rebel county of Cork where legendary Irish musician William Rory Gallagher grew up and first made his name. Throughout the 1960s, 70s and 80s, this soft-spoken, perfectionist rock star dominated the Irish music scene thanks to his generational musical ability and unwavering dedication to his craft. But what was it about Rory that drove him to become the guitarist and musician he eventually became? What made Rory Gallagher so special? I'm Niall O'Driscoll, and this is The Big Story. Rory Gallagher, the Lee Delta Bluesman. What's going on? Rory Gallagher was born in the aptly named Rock Hospital in Ballyshannon, County Donegal, in 1948, where his father Daniel was employed by the ESB. However, it wasn't long before Rory, his younger brother Donal, and mother Monica relocated to Cork which is where Rory began to show his flair for music. Both the Gallagher boys were musically inclined from a young age, which is no surprise given their parents' backgrounds. As Donald Gallagher, Rory's brother, explains. My father, our, our, our dad, was a, a, an Ulster champion accordionist. Right. And um, he had his own Kelly dance orchestra. And of course, this is pre-war. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was about 22 of them. So he was, he was out playing, and you know, and there's ads existing of him jamming with people as, as a guest mm-hmm. in the north of Ireland. And he was known as the Wizard of the Accordion. You know, we, we can talk about the, the, the Roaches, my mother's side of the family, who were sort of back from Balavorny, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a relationship through to Sean O'Rear. There was, there was some roach marriage in between. So there was, you know, that kind of existed in the two strands of his DNA, this traditional uh, line of music. Donald would eventually go on to serve as Rory's manager and still manages Rory's estate today. But in the very early days, the brothers often performed together. It wasn't all plain sailing either with the pair often bickering, the original feuding Gallagher brothers. I was then uh, recruited because our sort of party pieces at home was that we could, we'd could sing harmonised to Avalry brothers. You know? Lovely, nice. And it, 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 our voices were quite similar. So, you know, so then I was sort of roped into to going in and going on stage for the last couple of numbers and that was the only way you could sing wake up little susie you know sure. walk right back kathy's clown whatever the song was but then i got fired on stage one night because <laughs> you know i was impotent i didn't particularly like being, you know and we'd done so well and i remember it was in saint augustine's Church Hall 
on Washington Street, mm. and we're doing so well that, and it was to be honest, there were, you know, it wasn't young people. It was like old years, and it would have been maybe a pensioners thing or something, mm. but, or a charity thing for, and they were kept bringing us back to doing that, and we'd run out of all our harmony songs, you know, Hand Me Down My Walking Cane, all the skiffle songs yeah, yeah. that we knew. We sang a lot. And so Rory nudged me on stage and said, okay, sing A Scottish Soldier. And the next thing he said, oh, Don's now going to do his party piece. Rory's being a bit big brother cynical about it because yeah. he's about, and he wouldn't want to, he wouldn't really want to play that. But yeah. And I, because I'd come from the north of Ireland, I could do a Scottish accent very easily, sure. you know. Yeah. So I sang this Andy Stewart hit, which was actually a mega hit at the time, uh, and with the Scottish dialect. And Rory started to join in strumming the guitar with mm. the chords. And I stopped him in the middle of it and I said, Excuse me, Rory, there's no guitar on this. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, Jesus. I was like, Rory carried on kicking me, you know. Come on. What what, what, what age? On. What ages were you roughly? Oh, I'd, I'd have been, I'd been lucky if I was eight. I think. Oh, uh, I love yeah, eight, <laughs> eight or nine maybe. And I remember, you know, we got through, and of course the audience thought there was this, this is comedy hour, you know, two brothers on stage and the. <laughs> you know, you're, so the original before, Gallagher brothers, right? <laughs> Oh, before Liam and Noel were asked. <laughs> yeah. As a young boy, he began to sit up and take notice of the new music filtering across from America and the UK via Radio Luxembourg and American Forces Network in the late 1950s and early 60s. The likes of Elvis Presley and particularly skiffle hero Lonnie Donegan caught Rory's attention. It was also around this time that he began to discover blues legends like Muddy Waters with whom he would collaborate some years later. An early fascination with the guitar saw Rory get his hands on a cheap acoustic instrument on which he would learn the rudiments and seize any opportunity to perform before eventually getting his hands on his famous 1961 Fender Stratocaster. The guitar was bought on higher purchase from Crowley's Music Shop in Cork, not far from his grandmother's pub on McCurtain Street. That Strat, rejected by its original owner because he didn't like the colour, would become Rory's number one instrument for the rest of his life. And with that, a symbol of the man and his music. It wasn't long before the elder of the two Gallagher boys was making a name for himself around Cork City and beyond. Despite his family's background in traditional Irish music, though, it was a different, more distant genre that Rory was drawn to, the blues. Here is musician, filmmaker and broadcaster Philip King speaking about the influences both he and Rory fell under growing up in Cork. The radio was probably the most significant item in our house. I remember my father coming home with the radio, turning on the radio, spinning the dial on the radio and tuning into a world of, you know, I, let's call it sonic excitement out in mm. the world. And 
which tuned along. And, <clears throat> you know, there was, you know, Radio Luxembourg and BBC, and then there was Hilverston, and then there was American Forces Network. And American Forces Network was very interesting because a lot of the blues men, the great blues men and women, from Sister Rosetta Tarp to sort of the very, very early blues people, were touring in, in Germany because they went and played the American Forces bases in Germany. Sure. And that beamed in here, and that really was the blues for us <clears throat> coming up what we used to euphemistically refer to as the Lee Delta. But before Rory Gallagher became famous for his take on the blues, there was his show band period in the early 1960s, which had a strong West Cork flavour. The Southern Star's retired editor, Con Downing, is a lifelong fan who also covered much of Gallagher's career, both as an entertainment journalist and pirate radio DJ. Well, I suppose uh, during the show band era, um, he was, um, he, I suppose he did his apprenticeship, um, show bands and a bit of showman, show, showman stuff, like go hand in hand. And I suppose that was a great um, place in which to, to, to cut his teeth as a performer as well, too, because, uh, you know, a lot of people would look down on the fact that he was with the show bands. But I think Rory was quite happy to actually go and serve his apprenticeship in terms of uh, stage performance with uh, the show bands. And uh, he was um, mainly mentored in that by two brothers from Drina, uh, the Tobins, Oliver and Beverly Tobin, who uh, had uh, abandoned the goal, the, the, the impact. And uh, they really, I suppose, helped him along until the next stage of his career. And uh, they as well, when they were in London and places like that, they supported some of the huge acts of the 60s, the late 60s at the time, like even including the likes of the Beach Boys, the Kinks and all them. And while they were doing the support, um, Rory was studying carefully the lead guitarists and all these bands, and he was um, practicing until he got the whole thing right, you know. So um, he was he was uh, developing his uh, musical skills all, all the time. With his apprenticeship finished, it was time for Rory to take his rightful place as the leading man. The Taste, and later just Taste, formed in 1966, initially alongside Eric Kitterman and Norman Damery, who were later replaced by drummer John Wilson and bassist Richard McCracken. The band found plenty of success for a short period in the late 60s and recorded two studio albums, as well as two live recordings, including Live at the Isle of Wight, which was released 50 years ago in 1971, after the band had split up. poor relationship with management and the other musicians had prompted Rory to call time on taste in 1970, leaving him with the difficult decision, both creatively and financially, to set out on a solo career. Ultimately, this proved the right move. Here is Donald Gallagher again on what was initially a trying time for his brother. Well, there were initially there were very difficult times for Rory. That transition taste had split, split up. That was very acrimonious. Mm. Um, so it left Rory with huge management problems, 
with the phone manager and not least the two musicians um, who sided with the manager uh, to their regret, I might add. Um, so Rory, it, it, it couldn't stay bankrupt, but he was very low and uh, was in the process of getting extracted out of that management contract, mm -hmm. uh, which was also coercing him into a deal he didn't want to make to get out of that management contract. So there was a lot of conflict and a lot of confusion uh, in that respect. So not least, his name was very blackened by some of the, the press and, and the media in the UK who loved, they were picking sides. And then principally because Rory adopted an old comment uh, response to everything that was thrown at him. Sure. Um, he didn't want to dignify, basically. So uh, the man was really felt persecuted. With a steely determination that was Gallagher's way, he set about becoming the best act he could feasibly become and threw himself into his music, as Philip King explains. He was, for me, you know, the quintessential musician mm. who was in love with music to the exclusion almost of everything else. Mm. And just his power, his commitment, the excitement, the energy, the voltage, mm. I think was the right thing to sort of say. And I mean, he was always, and he, he had that thing that great musicians have, you know, he had that, he had humility and authority. Um, he was humbled by the muse and he had the authority of done, having done the 10,000 hours yeah. and being a real player. Along with his musical prowess, another key aspect to Rory Gallagher's career were his electrifying live performances and his ability to connect with audiences everywhere he played. Condowning has fond memories of travelling by bus from Dunmanway to see Rory Thrill at City Hall in Cork. We would have this annual pilgrimage, I'd say, from both the age of 16 onwards, uh, we would have um, gone from West Cork up to uh, the City Hall for his annual concert up there, uh, which used to take place over the Christmas period. So it was a, it was a great treat, actually. We used to travel in and out on a bus uh, from Dunmanway to abandon uh, to Hamilton High School. I mean, you could, when Rory was playing and the crowd was stomping on the floor, like the City Hall was literally rocking the floor. Like, there was a very strong floor in the City Hall because it was hopping up and down while, while, while he was playing. And there was a great um, collegiality among people, you know, they're going to, I mean, it was mostly young males probably that were at the concerts, but um, uh, great, given a great chance to practice air guitar, etc. So, um, but it, it, it was, it, it was, the atmosphere was always fantastic, you know, and uh, uh, Rory was a great showman, obviously, like he, he played to the crowds and um, it was really, really uh, admired. You know, we weren't getting that from any other acts around because, uh, and like his virtuosity on the guitar, he could more or less make the guitar talk.
Rory's influence on music spread through generations, with guitarists such as Slash, The Edge and Johnny Marr all name-checking him as having had an effect on their careers. The legendary Eric Clapton even credited Gallagher with getting him back into the blues. But despite the reverence his peers had for his music and the success he had enjoyed both critically and commercially, Philip King believes there were times when Rory questioned his own credentials. Did he get to feel at one particular point that the work, while powerful and pleasing to him and his audience, mm. that somewhere there that it was inauthentic in some way? Because oh. and he, he, was, he, he was not an African-American. Yeah. Um, he was not Buddy Guy or B.B. King or Albert King or any of them, really. Mm. I often wondered, was that a source of existential disappointment for him? Yeah. You know? yeah. And I can't answer that question, but I sensed something in him that there was that sort of sense of, wonder, what can I do now? Sadly, for his friends, family, and his millions of fans around the world, Rory Gallagher died, aged just 47, in London in 1995, of complications after a liver transplant. He had performed live on more than 2,000 occasions and left behind an indelible mark on the music industry that is still being felt decades later. September 2021 marked the 50th anniversary of his debut album, the self-titled Rory Gallagher. A special anniversary edition of the album has just been released to mark the occasion. But what would Rory himself have thought about the fact he was still releasing albums in 2021? We'll leave the final word to Donald Gallagher. It's, it's a conundrum, isn't it? Because Rory's attitude, if he was alive, <laughs> would be... It's my next album. It, right. it, it, he wasn't the kind of guy to be retrospective at all. Sure. In fact, I had great difficulty with him um, when Catalogue started to become a feature. Mm. It, it, you know, once you made an album, it, it was that was gone. The record company forgot about it. He he was a perfectionist. So yeah, yeah. I, if Rory was around today, would he go back? And then I don't. I. I, I Yes, he'd like the idea. Rory Gallagher, a Lee Delta bluesman, was written and produced by Jack McCarran and me, Niall O'Driscoll. It was edited by Jack McCarran with reporting also from me, Niall O'Driscoll. The series editor is Siobhan Cronin. The Big Story is a Southern Star media production. For more stories like this, subscribe to The Big Story wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at southernstar.ie. Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. 
Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie